on the record and off the record, I think sale, uh, women in sales roles, when they know what they're doing and they have the skills, destroy men apples to apples. Hands down, destroy it. I've said it to every new group of people. I said, women in here, if you know what you're doing, you're going to crush every man. All the guys in here, you're going to get crushed. Like, it doesn't matter. I think the problem is, is like you said, most women just don't know how to do it. They don't have the confidence. They don't have the skills. They don't have the training. Nobody has the training. Um, men are just more willing to just make crap up and 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 hopefully, you know, trick people enough. Welcome. This is episode three of season two of Hustle and Heels, the podcast. We are Adriana Romero and Ilya Francis. And as you know, we sit here and we chat about sales, overcoming the fear of selling, structuring your sale and learning, because ultimately that is what we want to give you learnings and advice to help you become better in selling your business, your service, your idea, your product, anything that you need right now at the point where you are at your business. Jason met Ilya in, you know, a very COVID quarantine way via LinkedIn Live, and they connected and started talking about our purpose and about what he does, and we saw a lot of similarities. So we sat down with Jason and created a two-part episode where we discussed things like what is persuasion for Jason and why did he write a book about it? What is, you know, an order taker for him and how he went from being a person who did not want to be in sales and being tagging sharks in the ocean to becoming a sales coach. His journey is really fascinating and his history behind his dislike of sales and all things like salespeople is something that is very beautiful and curious and we loved uncovering with him how his joining came to be join us today and next week for this two-part series about how jason can give you advice and how women for him are the best salespeople out there we hope you enjoy it hello everybody and welcome to the third episode of season two of hustle and heals the podcast and today we're very excited because we have our first guest and I would love, you know, this is this is an episode I, I'm really going to enjoy because we we have been sharing, you know, offline a lot of uh, commonalities. And um, Jason, who is here with us today, I'm not going to do a lot of introductions. I want him to introduce himself. Him and Ilya met via LinkedIn, you know, in the middle of this pandemic, which story I'm going to let Ilya share because I think it's fascinating. And now we're all here from different parts of the world, you know, united by Zoom, like most of us are these days. And we're able to have Jason's expertise and his advice and stories today in the podcast for you guys. So, you know, before we introduce Jason, Ilya, can you tell us a little bit more about how you guys met? Well, it was very... Um very COVID related because we get to attend this networking LinkedIn Live that happens every second and fourth Thursday of every month with you know the incredible Martello Artelai. Uh, and that is called linked, uh, LinkedIn Lunch, Linked Lunch. And we were, you know, um, probably five to 10 people uh, introducing ourselves and getting to know the stories of each other. And well, Jason was there. I was intrigued. He said, I am an author. I have, you know, he he had by then his uh, book, Authentic, Selling with Authentic Persuasion. And I got very intrigued. So you know what happens during those networking events. We start, you know, getting to know the stories, connecting and feeling, you know, relating to each 
person specifically. So depending on how the dynamic was, and I felt that a great dynamic with Jason, uh, he sent me a connection request or I sent him a connection request and we started talking. I sent him a video. He sent back video, a voice note. And that's how this story started. I was very intrigued about the book and I said, I want to, I want to read it. I have a husband who is a sales uh, director and I want to give it to him, but I haven't given it to him <laughs> because I am so, so, um, passionate about what he is telling with the stories, examples, blockers, and those use cases, like all the case studies that he explained through the book that I definitely have probably uh, two more months before I really hand it over. So Jason before she takes over her husband's role. You never know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and thanks again for accepting this invitation. You have a great story about never wanted to be in sales, but tell us why. Yeah. And, and thanks for that. And that reminds me, I just need to send you a second book so that your husband can actually read it. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, that I, I'm put, I'm going to put that on my list. So, yeah, I, uh, so I guess the punchline, cause this is always fun to look backwards and go backwards is I currently have my company called cutter consulting group. It's focused on sales optimization, uh, improvement and helping both companies with their teams and improving sales effectiveness, as well as individuals, uh, who are selling it with a company or solopreneurs. And so that's where I am now at, uh, this point about 18 years into my sales career, minus some breaks I took in between. Growing up, I was a very shy, very awkward, late bloomer, only child who was semi-bullied as a kid. And uh, I come from two pretty analytical parents. Uh, my mom, when she went back to work when I was a kid, she was in banking and finance and moved her way up before she retired. And my dad was uh, started out as an engineer after the Navy and then moved his way up into project management and program management and directing, um, but in an engineering company for 39 years. And so I grew up with these two, you know, analytical parents. It was the three of us. And uh, it's funny because one of the things I even wrote the book, and I didn't realize this until I talked to my mom, I knew some stories, but not all of them. Um, she reminded me, uh, essentially, one of the things that happened to her, her first job out of high school was working at a furniture company. And she was in the back office. And she literally um, watched what the salespeople did and heard what they said about people and watched what they did to people financially. Uh, and I don't, I didn't even share this on LinkedIn. Like this, you know, I haven't talked about this too much because she just told me this, uh, you know, about a month ago. Um, but she basically got a terrible, terrible impression about salespeople, uh, especially retail salespeople. And, uh, was just like, that is, that is terrible. And then the memories I have as a kid growing up is every couple of years, once, you know, we started having a little more money is we would go buy a new car and essentially it would become a four or five hour experience mm -hmm. on a Sunday. You know, I'm an eight year old kid stuck in a lobby for, you know, in a waiting room for four hours by myself watching a TV while my mom is literally battling it out and, with. And it has not changed, Jason, eh? So it's no, even, you know, like, that has not changed. That's the worst part. <laughs> it is. Well, it's, it hasn't changed for people who get stuck in that experience. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, what's fascinating about that is I have a friend who uh, I made through some business stuff and then we've just stayed friends, but literally he 
is in that group that doesn't want to deal with salespeople as well, right? And thinks sales is such a dirty word, which is the general feeling in the world that he actually just shared, I think on LinkedIn recently, he bought a car from one of those Carvana vending machines and literally it showed up on a truck and then he had a car. Like he avoided dealing with a single person because that's how broken people feel about the process. Oh, totally. So I literally grew up in a anti-sales household such that my bachelor's degree is in marine biology and I spent years tagging sharks. Like none of it makes sense, yet here I am. <laughs> well, it was preparing you for the world of sales, eh? <laughs> it, 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 it was, you know what? And it, what it did was it prepared me for the world of selling in a empathetic way that's solving problems that the world actually wants versus going into sales in the way that people want to Perceive do or it. like yeah. think it should be done. Yeah, yeah, like the boiler room wolf of Wall Street mode is I was never destined for that. No way. Yeah, I think I think when, it's funny when when you say the movies because definitely, you know, I think you have in your LinkedIn profile somewhere it says, you know, the nice salespeople are not the ones that movies are made of. It's always no. like the typical, you know, the wolf of Wall Street and Wall Street the movie and you know, the car sales guy and you know, all those. And you think interesting because movies should be made of the good guy who's really trying to solve a problem. And in sales, it's just much, much more. It's more complex. It's 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 solving issues. It's helping people. But you never see that in Hollywood. eh? No. And uh, when it's done right, it is so to me, it's so smooth and so effortless when it's done right. And I'm not meaning like no objections. There's objections, issues, people are messy. Like we'll get into that. But like, I mean, when it's done right and it's smooth, it's not very sexy. It's not very glamorous. It's not like, wow, that was like a big dramatic thing. It's like, no, it just happened, right? Like, like kind of like heart surgery. It, when it's done right, it should just happen. It shouldn't be overly dramatic, right? So the same thing with sales. Yeah, nothing forced. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's more like a dance. Everybody understands mm -hmm. where, you know, people are at. They, you, you have the, the product, the service, or the solution you, you want to convey this person you're talking to or the organization you're talking to. And, right. and everything flows naturally because there's a need and you want to fulfill it. You find that, you know, that your, your service or the solution you're providing is the right one. You adjust it, you give understanding and you ask the right questions. But why do you believe people fail in sales nowadays? So I think there's a handful of reasons, but if we're going to narrow it down to keep the show under two hours, I think the key is, um, <laughs> don't worry, Jason, we can bring you back again. Don't even worry right, about we'll do, that. This is we'll not, do, this we'll, is not a one time only. <laughs> all right. We'll do a mini series out of it. Um, you know, I, I think, I think the biggest thing, which, you know, it kind of starts at the top is self-awareness. Um, most of the people fall, fall into sales, but they don't actually know who they are. They don't know what they like. They don't know what they want to do. They don't know what their goals are. That's why in my book, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but it's called Selling with Authentic Persuasion. And it's not just selling with persuasion or persuading by being authentic. Like I put it in that order and you read the book, it's in order of the sections. The first part is the authenticity, which is self-awareness, you know, as the basis of it. Um, most people like myself fall into sales. I have 
a bachelor's degree in marine biology. I tagged sharks for a few years. Then I moved to Seattle. I worked at Microsoft for a couple of years because I thought I wanted to be in computers. So I worked in tech support. I didn't want to do that and realized that was not what I cared about. And then at 27, I fell into a role that was semi-selling. It was in the mortgage business where you know, at the time it didn't take much persuasion or selling, but it was a sales role. Uh, and I got no training. I had no idea who I was. I had no idea how everything worked. And I think most people fall into that. The second reason why I see a lot of people fail is what happens is they see the movies, right? The ones we talked about, or they have experiences in life, or they have people they know that have experiences with the, I'm going to say it, the bad salespeople, right? The manipulators, the tricksters, the ones who are, are wanting to sell something to somebody for their own benefit and not for the customer's benefit. They literally don't care. Um, and so what happens is people enter into sales with that impression that that's what sales requires to be successful. And then they run to the other end of the spectrum, which I label as being an order taker, which is they are so far from wanting to have to manipulate or trick they literally want to just take orders. They want to present the information. They hope people buy because they like them. And that strategy doesn't work either because it's not an order taking role. It's a selling and persuasion role, persuasion role. And so it requires something in the middle. And then fundamentally, there's just never enough training. There's never good training. There's rarely ever good coaching, management, leadership, mentoring. And so people are left to figure it out on their own and they don't. And you, and have, you say, yeah, you have you one of many the experts truths. here. You say many truths, Jason, because you were talking, I was just thinking about, you know, how I fell into sales and it's literally falling into sales. Like I'm a systems engineer. I never wanted to be in sales. I love it. Didn't think about sales, like, but I knew I didn't want to do what my, all my colleagues were doing when I graduated university. Right. Exactly. And you know, when you say about training and it's funny because that was too many years ago, I fell into sales after the world didn't end in Y2K. So, you know, 20 years ago when I started selling, complete different, there was like, you say no training or no nothing. This was pre-Salesforce era. Like I was using these crappy CRMs that have yep. no comparison to what we have today. And now fast forward 20 years, I'm in sales enablement. I train and coach people for a living. I create programs and I create all this and I bring all this together. And you would think it, you know, after all these years, it would be easier, but still it's an interesting as an enablement person, A, People understanding the value of training and coaching for salespeople, understanding why they have to invest into technology and training and people like yourself to come into a company and help their people. And, and it's interesting. And what you said about people seeing the movies, I, you know, going to their subject of, of women, you know, women typically shy away from sales roles and, and, and even, you know, thinking about selling, they, they just think it's too aggressive. They think about the movies about, I don't want to be that person. That's not sure. authentic. Um, I'm scared. I have attributed a lot of it. And I, and as, as we were talking before, when, whenever I'm in a sales team, the best sellers and the top sellers are the women. Um, and, and they're amazing. They're authentic. They build connections. They're not cheesy. They're not trying to push anything. They're so amazing and they do it well. But one thing that I have found is, you know, the, the shyness and maybe the lack of the confidence that maybe they have in their abilities of being great salespeople. So, you know, it's a great topic to bring. Why do you think, you know, in your experience, why do you think women shy away from sales and before more like a, an account management role or a customer service role? Like, what have you seen? 
Um, I think it's two main things. The first is the way that little girls are raised and how the world treats them and the rules that they tell them they need to play by. And it's funny because I rarely do this, like taking notes while I'm on like a conversation like this, but I was making some notes of things I wanted to make sure and bring back up. And you had mentioned dancing earlier, right? Like sales is a dance. I think Ilya mentioned that. It's like, it's a dance. And, and the instant thing that I thought of is in a dancing, one person leads, one person follows. The man leads, the woman follows. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to talk about like just one hardcore instant example everyone can relate to, it's dancing. Like if it's some kind of, you know, like tango or, you know, classical dancing, something like that, there's one person who leads and it's generally the man and there's one person who follows and it's generally the woman, right? And that's just how little girls are raised and little boys are raised and it's just that way. And so what happens is, you know, and and I've talked to many women sales leaders and business leaders and it's like, yeah, this is the thing. When you get into business, then all of a sudden there's this like weird disconnect, which is I can do this. I think I can do this. I want to do this and I think I'm good at it, but the world has told me for a long time, just be quiet and follow instead of lead, right? Like you should go into customer service. You should be a nurturing person, like your role is nurturing. Um, And so generally, instead of crossing the line into selling and persuading women in business that could do that, go to the customer service, account management, customer, you know, success, the support roles, because they're taking that nurturing side with them because either society has told them not to sell or they just don't know how powerful if they have the skills and the abilities and some tools, like how truly, truly powerful they could be in the world of selling. Yeah. And, and, and tidying, you know, that idea now that you talk about the gender, the, the biases, and of course the cultural part of, you know, being a woman in sales, uh, you have one point in your, uh, in your book that you said that you have to handle and control the art of pausing. You know your the pauses. Oh, the power right. of the pause. Sales the power process. of the pause. The best thing ever. Exactly, and 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 asking the right questions, but being the person who asks the questions, you know, makes you the person in control. Do you think that because women were, you know, has been always educated? I know that not all the women have been raised exactly the same, but it is the majority rule so you think that because women always listen and make more pauses will that indicate that that's why you know that's one of the keys for you know failing at sales and not failing at sales but getting to that goal which is closing which is you know gaining that client and i know adriana we have you know one of the best sales enablement uh coaches right here and and she can tell me too because i i am you know i am new to the sales uh world but i've learned so much from her in the last three years and and this is key so this was one of my eye openers when i read that part the art of pausing and how you you make a pause, but the way that you do the either the reverse questioning or yeah. you know you you start you know asking questions again guarantees the success. Tell me about it. Yeah, so I think to address what you've talked about, first part is there's you know different kind of pausing, and um, 
you know, one is a strategic pause, which is what, you know, you're partially referring to, which is where typically in a sales environment, you ask a question and then you pause and wait for that answer instead of jumping in, right? The, the challenge is, is most people hate silence. They hate that awkward silence. They hate dead air. Nature hates it. Uh, it hates a vacuum and it just wants to fill it, right? So if you say something and they don't answer, most people just want to jump in and kind of rescue this awkward moment, right? Um, usually where that shoots people in the foot when you don't pause is when you're talking about price or talking about some kind of term, right? Like, hey, you know, could you do, this is how much it costs. And in that pause, you just jump in because naturally what happens, and this is what's interesting, is that when there's something like a price that comes up, the next person to talk loses, that's literally how that works. And so you've got to be able to control that. But what you're talking about that I wrote specifically in the book is not pausing and how pausing is an indicator of order takers right on that spectrum. And what that is referring to is when someone asks you a question in sales and most people's uh, response is to answer, give the, give the proper answer. And then if they're an, more of an order taker and less of somebody who's in control of the process, they will pause. So they'll answer and then they'll pause. Again, nature hates a vacuum. Prospective buyer asks another question. Salesperson, order taker answers the second question, pauses. It's the nice thing to do. It's courteous. Hey, I'm leaving the door open. I wanna make sure you get all your concerns out. Let's get all that out on the table. So I'm gonna pause again. And then another question and then another question. And that prospect is co completely in control uh, generally what happens is they will win long-term. You will lose the sale. I call it a death by a thousand punches um, because it's just one punch after another because you're pausing and not controlling the process. Why that happens, again, most people are wanting to leave that space. They're trying to be courteous. They're trying to be pleasant. They see not, they, they're avoiding the controlling, right? Like you answer me, a, you ask me a question, I answer it, and then I just jump back on top of you. For some people that feels inappropriate so they avoid that behavior now why that happens with women i think some of it is just you know the dynamics of men and women if you look long enough back there's the women are nurturers taking care of the family and there's the men who are the aggressive ones and hunting and, and all of that stuff like a long time ago right within the dynamics over time that's changed somewhat so i think some of it might be nature some of it is nurture um, you know, people who, women who are, are really, let's say aggressive, they're going to make their way through one way or another. The ones who are kind of on the fence will usually fall back into kind of the nurturing roles or supportive roles instead of in a like sales role. And, and I love, I love this because this is a great segue for a question and something that, that you have said, I've, I've seen in my career, different women, right? The women that are more aggressive, that will go for it. Like I, I, right now I, I have enabled a lot of younger women um, you know, when they're mid twenties, late twenties, different generation, different way of doing things. And I've seen some of them that are like really in it. But one thing that I have noticed in your nature versus nurture is that it's so important, the type of mentorship and the type of managers and, and, and coaching people that they get and, and attributed also because most of the sales leaders they're going to find are going to be men, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, in my career, I had, in all my sales career, if I look back, all my managers were men, all of them, like all of them. And, you know, my, my latest experience, my latest VP of sales was a guy, was the first time I really had a nurturing manager who was really in it to coach me and to make me better and to elevate me 
no matter what, but that's so difficult to find. So, yeah. you know, in your opinion, you know, it's, it's what would be that advice that you would give to a woman who's like in sales and maybe the, there's this nurture and, 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 and nature kind of thing. What should they seek if they don't have that figure as a direct manager? Like what, what should they be looking for? So they don't fall into the trap of the comfort zone, which is the status quo, where, as we all know, it's not good in sales. It's not good for a sales career. What should this woman have to do without losing the nature of who she is, but nurturing, you know, what she's capable of doing? What, what do you yeah, think and, she should be doing? And, and I think this advice would go for everybody as well, right? Not, not just women who aren't getting, you know, or, or have a manager who's a, you call it status quo, we can call it classic salesperson, or they yeah. just have this one style. I, I think it could go for men or women with any kind of manager that's just not in alignment with how they sell or how they operate. Yeah. Um, because like, depending on what you prescribe to, um, you know, if we look at disc, I use something similar to disc, but if we look at disc, which is simple versus Meyer Briggs, there's four personality types. It's kind of like a quadrant, you know, yeah. essentially, if you look at something like that, divide up the population of the world into 25% a piece and people fall into these buckets generally, right? You can't generalize everybody, but you can, you know, you can put people in those buckets. So there is a good chance that if you're in any role, sales, operations, mark, like it doesn't matter who you work for is not going to be a good fit for how you see the world. Sometimes that's a benefit, right? In, in like a relationship where opposites attract and the other person brings things that you don't have. So sometimes that's super valuable. Other times it's a complete train wreck and it's terrible and it's out of alignment and you know, you just want to run. So it could apply to anything. Now for me, I think the biggest thing is to identify you know, what works, what doesn't, but then go find other support. Now, speaking, obviously what we both do, um, you know, getting a mentor, getting a coach, um, you have to be careful with coaches because generally a coach is someone who's just going to ask you questions and make you come up with your own answers, right? Like a therapist versus a mentor who's going to be like, no, say this instead of this, you need to do this. Are you doing these things like a different level of accountability? So I think getting a mentor from outside your organization, it's super sad, like your discussion about training and sales enablement and how it hasn't changed over your 20 years, hasn't changed over my 18 years. Um, organizations don't provide it. If you want to be successful, you got to go outside your organization. That's yeah. true for pretty much. And I'm not saying that just because that's what I do. And that's what you do. I, I don't care. 8 billion people on the planet. You don't have to listen to this and then call me and hire me. Like, that's not the point. It's just a fact that I know Agreed. that organizations don't. And what I also know, if we look at professionals in other arenas, let's say like Tiger Woods at the height of his game, he had seven different coaches from mindset to swings to various things. Like, People who want to succeed at a high level will bring in all the coaches and mentors. I generally try to have two to three mentors, paid mentors and coaches in my life at any one time to help me fill in the gaps. So I think, you know, that, and a lot of people have a stigma. It's like, no, I should be able to do it all on my own. It's like, no, you have what you have because of what you know. If you want to have more or different, you need some help. And so, especially nowadays, ahead. you know, it's easier. Yes. Like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty so sure easy. you're also, you know, there's, I am involved in like five or six Slack channels of different type of communities, <laughs> which my husband says, I don't know how you do it. I can barely manage the Slack of my company. I'm yeah. like, yeah, but there's so much insight and I can get so much mentorship as well from people who are living and doing the experience and just asking a question, having a quick 30 minute call. Like, 
I, I also believe the power of that people think, oh, I have to have a mentor. It's like, you know, the Yoda of my life and forever and ever we're going to be together, you know, united by the force. Yeah. The mentor could be a person who helps you in a very specific point of your life. Yeah. And maybe you don't see them again. Maybe the person was a mentor and the person was a CEO of a company or was the CFO, was not maybe. even related to your to your career. But I think what you said there is the openness of, of, of being able to say and accept help because you don't know everything. And sometimes no. even to balance an idea or even to say, I'm going to validate or unvalidate my idea by talking with somebody. And I think that's something that's, you have to be always humble to accept that. And that's, I think, a trait that salespeople don't like to accept. They're not very humble. I am one, and I'm married to one, and I know one, and Ilya's married to another one, and we know. Um, but yeah, I think it's super important, right? And 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 Ilya must you must be fascinated, Ilya, because you're here. You know, you're surrounded by salespeople. Like, you know, this is this is for you. Like, you're just absorbing everything. Like, from your perspective, Ilya, what what else? What else do you think that Jason can help us with? With our I am the balancing force, but something that I you know I'm <laughs> very intrigued about. Uh, Jason, and in your side of, you know, the sales world is persuasion. Why do you come on? Why do you decide to use or bring persuasion as the material for your book? But especially, uh, why do you consider it is a, a great, key, vital, critical skill for a seller? So it, I, and those words came to me like when I was really struggling. I had written the book. I had actually wrote the book. I threw the whole thing away because I didn't like it. I rewrote it again from scratch. Uh, and then I went through the process of editing it. And uh, I still didn't have a title for the longest time. And then I just literally forced myself one morning and sat down. I was like, I need a title. And those two words came to mind, authentic persuasion. And some people hear persuasion and they think negative. Some people hear persuasion, they don't like that. And they prefer convince or trans, you know, other words. You can wordsmith it or use it however you want. It's really the intent. I think for me, what people are afraid of and worried about in sales, either becoming or as a customer is manipulation. And by definition, manipulation is something you do, you know, to somebody and get somebody to do for your benefit, but not theirs, right? And so, you know, I cover that in the book and kind of differentiate the two where, you know, drawing the line in the sand, which is here's what the classic sale, here's what the snake oil salesman mantra like is oh my God, from the back snake in the day. Oil, I love it. <laughs> yeah, like those stories, right? Like if anyone's, most people are familiar with that title. Yeah. They might not know. I mean, usually what happened like a long time ago, somebody, you know, a man usually would go in the town with their wagon or go set up shop and sell this magical ointment and oil that literally did nothing, usually planting people in the audience that said they were cured by it. Um, and then they would sell as many as they could until the jig was up and people found out. Then they would move to the next town. No internet, no phones. Maybe Nowadays a we call it Instagram influencers, right? Now Instagram influencers, <laughs> which, you, but no, I mean, I think that's the thing is that, um, the, the internet is great at ultimately exposing people and companies to the, the truth of what it is um, at, at a rate that you couldn't do before. But the snake oil salesman lived off of manipulating everybody, lying to everybody, tricking everybody, and then just moving to the next town and finding a whole bunch of new set of victims. It's harder to do that now. But so persuasion, though, if you look at the definition, could be something I do for your benefit and help you do or something that only benefits me. It's kind of gray. 
I prefer positive persuasion, but persuasion is to me the act of getting somebody to take action on something they say they want or is beneficial for them. And so persuasion is an action word. Um, selling, you could use the same word as well, but persuasion just to me feels like something I'm helping you do and decide on your end. And then obviously there's some layers within that. Beautiful start of the conversation with Jason. Are you enjoying it so far? Please stay tuned and make sure that you tune in next week when we continue to talk about mentors, about help, about persuasion, and everything sales with Jason. We hope you enjoyed today's episode.